seated, find Daniel chapter 2 this evening, Daniel chapter 2. Sunday, of course, Christmas Eve, big day we've got planned, uh, regular 10.30 a.m. service, and then we are catering dinner right after the service. Um, we have a caterer coming in, providing everything, uh, have over 200 people signed up. We'll have guests as well, looking forward to that. Traditional dinner, uh, turkey and ham and all the fixings. And then come back in here at 1 o'clock or thereabouts for a afternoon service in lieu of an evening service. That will be the schedule for Sunday and looking forward to that. We have, if, if I fail to mention this at the end of the service, we have um, carpet cleaners coming in tomorrow uh, to shampoo the carpet in the auditorium and in the nurseries. And so right after the service, I need some gentlemen that could help us. We need to take all of these side chairs, need to stack them up on the platform, make sure there's nothing on the floor. And um, I need to do the same thing here, uh, here in the choir loft. I need to move these chairs here. And then we need some folks to go over to the nurseries, at least the two nurseries here in this building. And I've got to take everything out of those nurseries and uh, move it to the fellowship hall. And then Friday, uh, Sister Paula's going to be here setting up the fellowship hall for uh, Christmas dinner because the caterers are coming in, I think, Saturday, want to set up. And then we've got to put the nurseries back together. And so if I can have some folks that would volunteer to come back over here Friday sometime and help us put it all back together then see Sister Paula uh, after the service. I'll, I'll try to remember to mention that again at the end of the service. That would be a, a real help to us. If you're visiting with us on Wednesday night, we are doing a series on prophecy, a study in prophetic scripture. And we began in the book of Revelation, but we said at the very beginning that Revelation doesn't cover all of prophecy. There are some gaps that John does not cover in that book, and you have to go to other places to find some of those gaps. For example, the rapture is not explicitly mentioned in the book of Revelation. I believe it is implied in chapter 4. We'll get there in time. Uh, but there are some events that are not covered in the book of Revelation. And so we set the ground rule that when we come to those gaps, we give ourselves permission to step out of Revelation, go to some other prophecies and try to tie them all together. One of those gaps is found in Daniel chapter 2. We began this last week, and so we'll finish it this morning I, or tonight. I have my in-laws staying with us uh, for Christmas, and uh, my mother-in-law is here. And um, uh, uh, so, so anyway... She, they have been listening to the prophecy series at home, and she asked me today if I was done with Revelation yet. Well, we've only been in it for four weeks, all right? And uh, she's already tired of it, I suppose. I don't know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But anyway, we will be in it for quite a while. I don't have time to give a lot of review from last week because we've got to keep it moving a little bit, but I want you to look at Daniel chapter 2, and I want you to look at verse number 36, verse number 36. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof 
before the king. This is Daniel speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, giving him the interpretation of the dream that he had. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath he made thee ruler over them all, thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. Whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. As the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. They shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, receives a vision in the night that troubles him. Unbeknownst to him, God has given him a dream or an outline of future world empires, beginning with his kingdom until the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. When his wise men and counselors were not able to tell or interpret the dream, Daniel was called in. And Daniel, by the inspiration of God, was able to not only tell Nebuchadnezzar what he had dreamed, but to give him the meaning of of the dream, what is the message in the image that he had seen. And what Nebuchadnezzar had seen in his dream was an image of a massive figure in the figure of a man. It was made of different materials. The head was made of gold. The breast and the arms were made of silver. The belly and the thighs were made of brass. His legs were made of iron. And his feet were made of a composite of clay and iron mixed. I said last week that the image is top heavy because gold is heavier than silver. Silver is heavier than brass and, and on down. And it indicates a decreasing value or decreasing strength. And that it's more valuable at the top than it is at the bottom. The second part of this vision is a mysterious stone that is cut without hands, it appears out of nowhere, it smashes the feet of this empire or this, this image and it demolishes the entire image 
and it is scattered to the four winds. That stone then becomes a great mountain filling the earth. That is the image. Now Nebuchadnezzar feared that the image had meaning, that it was the gods that was speaking to him through this vision. What he did not realize is that, is that it was the God of the universe that was speaking not only to him, but through him to us, giving us an outline of world empires. Daniel stood before that king, and in one of the most amazing prophecies in the Bible, he outlined what Jesus would call in Luke 21, the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles. Now there are four parts to this image. We looked at three of them last week. The first part is the head of gold. The head of gold represents Babylon. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that God has given you a kingdom. He has given you glory and strength and power. He has raised you up for this time. His, his empire is vast. He was a supreme monarch. In fact, I find it interesting that Daniel calls him a king of kings. Interesting phrase, a king of kings. He has tremendous authority, tremendous power. There's no one on earth that is as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar. And though the Babylonian Empire was very powerful and very vast, it was very short-lived. It only lasted for 80 years before falling to the Medes and the Persians. That's the second part of the empire. That's the, the breast and the arms of silver. It represents the Medes and the Persians. Persia was truly the first true superpower. It ranged all the way from Egypt to India. And at its peak, at its peak, it covered a territory of over 2 million people or 2 million miles and 50 million people that were in the Persian Empire. At that time, half of the known world was under the Persian Empire. That's the second part of the empire or the image. And then the third part of the image is the, the belly and the thighs that are of brass. And it represents Greece, the Greece Empire. Alexander the Great rose up from the small Macedonian kingdom that he inherited from his father, conquered the mighty Persian Empire in 331 B.C. He went on to conquer the world and then wept that there were no more worlds to conquer. That's probably a legend not true, but we have all heard that. He died at the age of 32 years old. He was the most powerful man on earth. And when he died, the Greek Empire was split up into four parts among four generals, and only two of those ever had any real power, and that's Egypt and that is Syria. And so eventually that kingdom came to be divided into two parts. Daniel saw that in Nebuchadnezzar's image because it started out as a strong, unified kingdom, and then it split into the two thighs and, and was broken down into those two parts. Those are the first three kingdoms. We look at history and we can see that. Now I caution you tonight, tonight is Bible study, all right? We are studying the Bible on Wednesday night. You have to listen on purpose because I'm not going to swing from the chandeliers. I'm not going to shout and run the aisles. We're going to just study the Bible. There is a fourth empire. It's represented by the legs of iron and it is the Roman Empire. 
Well, let me back up for just a minute. When we think of, of Greece, we think of the country of Greece. However, the country of Greece really didn't come about, I think, as an independent state about 200 years ago. Greece was a collection of city-states that were united as one under Alexander's father. And when Alexander died and that empire was broken into four parts, those city-states began to fight against each other and you had civil war. Think Athens, Sparta, Carthage, places like that. And there was another power that was rising in the east and it was Rome. The Romans would bring the Grecian Empire to its knees in 146 B.C. with the Battle of Corinth. And while Alexander the Great was conquering the world, he was also influencing the world with Greek culture. They spread Greek culture and Greek language and Greek philosophies. And when Rome came to power, they didn't have a common culture, so they actually adopted Greek culture. What the Romans actually did is they took the Greek gods and made them Roman gods. They took their language and made it their language. So when you come to the New Testament era, it is the Romans that rule the world, but it is Greek culture and influence that still influences the world. Now, would you let me take about four minutes and give you a very condensed history of the Roman Empire. I think it is fascinating. Four minutes, that's all that I need to tell you about the Roman Empire. It began as a city-state, the city of Rome, began as a city-state in 625 B.C. For the first 115 years, it was a monarchy. It was a, ruled by a king, six kings in all, in 115 years. In 510, they formed a new form of government called a republic. You may be familiar with that form of government. And they would be ruled by a senate or a body of basically upper-class politicians. Uh, that sounds familiar, does it not? They were a republic. They began to expand and gain control over what we now know as Italy, the Italian peninsula. Around 264, they, they came into conflict with the remaining vestiges of the Grecian Empire. It was on its way down. They would th fight three wars uh, with Carthage, about 100 years, called the Punic Wars. And in 146, they destroyed Carthage and they expanded their empire into North Africa. It wasn't long after that that Rome itself fell into a state of civil war. And in 82 BC, there was a man named Lucius Sulla, Lucius Sulla, that took sole power and he named himself the dictator of Rome. And Lucius Sulla was a very bloodthirsty tyrant, massacred hundreds of thousands of people. And every day, Lucius Sulla would post a list. Uh, in Rome of his political enemies that were condemned to die for unknown crimes. You could confiscate their property, turn them in where they would be executed, and you would get a reward. And Lucius Sulla would personally inspect the severed heads of those that were murdered, and he even kept some of them as a collection in his house. This is the kind of man that he was. 
One of the names on that list that he never actually captured and killed was a young rising star named Julius Caesar. For some reason, for some reason, Sola had ordered Julius Caesar to divorce his wife, and he refused. That put him on the hit list. Lucian Sola would later write that his greatest political mistake was not killing Julius Caesar. Well, Julius Caesar came to power in 60 B.C. 60 B.C., he would only rule for 16 years before he was assassinated. He is replaced by Octavian, this is an important name, who refashioned himself as Augustus, the imperial one. He became the first emperor, and now the Republic of Rome becomes the empire of Rome. Now we have an empire. In 31 B.C., Rome becomes known as Imperial Rome. During this time, it reaches its pinnacle. Asia Minor, Northern Africa, all of Europe just about. This is the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire grew into one of the largest empires in the world, but it became too big. It had too much territory. You couldn't defend it all. You couldn't, you, couldn't, you, you couldn't finance all of the wars to keep all of the tribes away from trying to take your territory. So in 286, Emperor Diocletian, if you were in my church history class, this would be a familiar name to you. Emperor Diocletian decided that what we have to do is we have to divide the empire. It is too big to maintain. So we're going to divide it between a western division and an Eastern Division. Now there are two empires, two legs of iron. Now there are two empires and they govern independently. The capital of the Western Empire is Rome. The capital of the Eastern Empire becomes Constantinople. The Eastern Empire becomes known as the Byzantine Empire. The Western becomes known as the Holy Roman Empire. Empire. They both considered themselves Roman. Both had the same set of laws. The Romans in the West, if you think Italy, they spoke Italian. And the Romans in the East, if you think Constantinople, if you think Turkey, they spoke Greek. The Romans in the West, Catholics. The Romans in the East, Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox. Constantinople, and the Eastern Empire fared better than the West because Rome suffered all kinds of attacks from invading tribes. And in 476, Rome fell. All the powers consolidated in Constantinople, the Eastern Empire, for another thousand years until 1453 when Constantinople is taken by the Ottoman Empire and the empire dies. And I told you that would be the most fascinating four minutes of your day. That's the history of the Roman Empire. Now, now here's what I want to do tonight, all right? It's Bible study. Here's what I want to do. Ben has helped me. I want to put a map up, and I'm going to show you the beginning, the expansion, the split, and the death of the Roman Empire. It is a minute and two seconds. It's going to show you visually what I just told you. Come on, Sarah. Give me a map if you would. This is going to be the growth of the Roman Empire. 
And here we go. We start right there. All right. You can see the date. You can see it growing. That looks like Italy. Now it's an empire. We're getting close to the split. And now it's split. And now you're going to see one of them begin to die. Now you've got one left, and it's going to continue for another thousand years, and then it's gone. This is the fourth kingdom in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now remember, in verse number 40, if you would look at it, the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. The two legs speaks of a division. You have a western division, you have an eastern division. But you're going to notice in verse 41, that the empire is going to take on a different form with the feet being made of iron and clay. It is not a different kingdom. It is the same kingdom in a different form. And as iron and clay do not adhere to each other, it's going to have some strengths and it's going to have some weaknesses. And in the final form, this empire is not going to be as strong and unified as it was in the beginning. Verse 43, would you look at verse 43? That whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. I don't know if there's a prophecy teacher that knows exactly what that means. There's a lot of guesses. But I don't know if anybody knows exactly what it means. Could it mean that it's going to be too diversified? There's going to be too many people involved. I'm not sure. But there's not going to be any solidarity like it was as a monarch, like it was a republic, like it was imperial Rome. There's going to be some weaknesses. So it begins as two legs of iron, and then the final form is going to be a feet that are made of iron and clay. And Sarah, if you'll put that up for me, verse number 42. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay... So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. I find it strange that it would mention the toes of this image. There are ten toes. Most people have ten toes. There are ten toes of this image. Now in just a minute I'll read you a passage from Daniel chapter 7 and I'll tie it together. But in Daniel chapter 7, there is, another, there is another vision. It is of the exact same thing. And in that vision, there is a beast that has ten horns. And there's a little horn rising out of the midst of those ten horns. That image is going to be the same thing as the image in Daniel chapter 2. The ten toes and the ten horns are the same thing. It is a ten nation confederacy that will make up this empire in its final form. In Daniel chapter 7, there is a little horn that rises out of the midst of those ten horns. You'll find out that that is the Antichrist that comes out of that Roman Empire. Now watch this. 
The fourth part of the image is the Roman Empire, but the empire is in two parts. There's a strong part represented by the two legs of iron, imperial Rome, and then there are feet made of iron and made of clay, and it's a composite. Take your Bible and hold Daniel chapter 2, but go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, I'm just going to read you two passages, and we're not going to deal with them but we'll deal with them when we come to them. But I, I want you just to see them real quick. Revelation chapter 13 and verse number 1. I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy, and the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. I don't have time to deal with that passage tonight. You might want to just write Daniel 7 right there because he saw the same thing that Daniel, and we, we will look at that. Look at Revelation chapter 17 quickly. Revelation chapter 17 and verse number 1. There came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-covered beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornications. This is the final world empire and it's going to take place during the tribulation. Daniel 7, Revelation 13, Revelation chapter 17 gives us a whole lot more detail and we'll get into that when we get there. I, I can't deal with all four chapters at one time, but it's dealing with the revived Roman Empire that's coming in the last days. Now, now watch this. Nebuchadnezzar gives us a preview, and the preview is a focus on that fourth kingdom. It will be united, then it will be divided, and in its final form it will have ten Ten parts to it, either ten toes or ten kings. When you study Bible prophecy, you will notice that the prophets in the Old Testament looked down through time and they saw mountain peaks of prophecy. For example, they saw the first coming, they saw the second coming, but they didn't see the valley, the church age in between. So it is when you study prophecy. They saw the first coming, they saw the second coming. They didn't see the rapture of the church in between. So in the images of the empires that Daniel saw, he sees the high points of the kingdoms, but he doesn't see everything in between. After Rome fell in 1541, many men came on the scene trying to rule the world. Charlemagne tried and he failed. Napoleon tried and he failed. Hitler tried and he failed. China is trying, they will fail. There's never been a world empire after that. Here is the reason why. That fourth kingdom lies dormant 
but it will rise up again. The Roman Empire failed, but it did not die entirely. And I believe these passages point to the revival of the Roman Empire. And in its final form, it will have a ten-king confederacy. Go to Daniel chapter 7 quickly with me. Daniel chapter number 7 and verse number 23. We're going to look at this passage next. But just tonight, Daniel 7 and verse 23. Then he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down, and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them. He shall be diverse from the first, he shall subdue three kingdoms. So the ten horns are ten kings, just represented by the ten toes of Daniel's image. The Roman Empire is going to rise out of the dust. It would devour the whole earth, meaning there's going to be a one world government. And this one world government will be divided into ten parts. Ten kings, ten nations, a ten part confederacy. And out of that confederacy there will be a little king that will rise up and according to Daniel 7 he will subdue three of those kings. When he subdues three of those kings the other seven will submit to him and you will finally have a one world government encircling the entire earth and it will all be under one man the Antichrist. That's what Daniel sees in Daniel chapter 2. I will tell you that when he finally has control of the whole world, one world government, it would be very short-lived. It takes place at the halfway mark of the tribulation. It will last for only 42 months or three and a half years. Now, when we get to this, here's the next thing we want to know. Where is the revived Roman Empire? And prophecy students have tried for years to identify what political body is going to be the revival of that empire. And so prophecy students go back to Europe. And they look at Europe and how Europe is laid out. And the European Union, could the European Union, could that be the revival of the Roman Empire? Could that be the beginning of this final empire? Could the nations that make up the European Union. Could that be the ten-nation confederacy that the Antichrist comes out? Because if we could identify the Antichrist, if we could find out where he comes from. So they said, well, in Europe, there, there is a common currency. I think 20 nations that use the euro as a common currency. They, they have a common bank, the European common bank, like we have a Federal Reserve Bank in the United States. And just like the United States began with 13 colonies and expanded. So the European Union, it started small. And now there are 27 member nations in the European Union. How it gets to 10 to fulfill prophecy, I have no idea. But could the European Union, could that be the revival of the Roman Empire? And here's what I would tell you when we study prophecy. Dwell on what you know and ignore what you don't know. Major more on scripture and less on speculation. 
I have no idea if the European Union is what Daniel saw in Daniel 2 and Daniel chapter 7. I, I have no idea. I, I, I do have a little bit of a problem, though, and that is that Daniel 7.23 says that it's going to devour the whole earth and then split into ten kingdoms. I don't see how the European Union is going to take over the whole earth. Europe is not the whole earth, all right? So, so I, I don't know that the European Union is, is, is any of that. Maybe the European Union becomes one of the ten kings, but I don't see how that it is all of the ten kings. We, we don't know, so, so we, we, we don't spend too much time guessing on that, all right? Now, let, let, me, let me bring this so close. Here's how it ends. Come back to Daniel chapter 2, and, and here is how it all ends. Look at verse 34. Verse 34. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Verse 44 and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. In the days of these kings, what kings? The kings of the final empire. And here's what Daniel says. That in the final days, when that empire is in its final form, in that final days, there is going to be a stone that is cut out without hands. It's going to come crashing down on that final empire. It is going to smash it to smithereens. And it's going to scatter it like dust, like chaff in a threshing floor. And it will be so complete that it will never rise again. What kind of kingdom is that fifth kingdom going to be? Well, verse 44 says... The God of heaven shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And notice too, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, meaning nobody is going to be able to take it over. You know, some prophecy teachers say that that is the church. It's not the church. The church is not a political body. The church ain't going to conquer nobody. The kingdom is none other than the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ right there. So here's what God's going to do. He's going to let the times of the Gentiles run its courses. And instead of leaving us in the dark, he gives us a clue in Daniel chapter 2. Here's what's going to happen. Here's the empires. Watch them. Here's the empires. And in the end, in the end, do not be distressed with what the nations do because God will laugh at them in their calamities. Psalm 2, and you'll see your empires rise and empires fall. And one of those empires might even be the United States of America. But in the end, there is coming a kingdom of which there is no end. Isaiah 9 saw that. Isaiah 9 says, The government shall be upon his shoulder, and of his government, there, the, and it says, Of the increase of his government, there should be no 
That's what Daniel sees. Now let me point this out to you, and I'm done. I'm done. Verse 35, verse 35, the last part. The stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Stone cut without hands, meaning there was no human involvement. And this stone becomes a great mountain. Now here's why I find that so interesting. Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan. Nebuchadnezzar's chief god of the Babylonians is Marduk. That's the chief god of the Babylonians. And Marduk had a special name. Google it. That's fine. Shadurabu. Do you know what it means? It means great mountain. That's what it means. That's what they called him. And Daniel is saying that you have a god that has a name. That means great mountain. But your god is going to be replaced. There is only one. That is a great mountain and will fill the earth with his glory. And it's not going to be your God. And then Daniel says about this great image in verse 35. He says that they became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away. You'll think I'm making this up. I actually am not. There was an ancient Assyrian mythology that goes all the way back to 4000 B.C. that the Babylonians adopted. And it says that Marduk defeated Timat, T-I-A-M-A-T, who was an evil god. And the way that he defeated this evil god is he blew into him a wind, a hurricane, a fourfold wind, and a sevenfold wind, and he defeated him with wind. Nebuchadnezzar believed that his God defeated evil with a strong wind. And Daniel says, you hadn't seen wind yet until my God comes along and blows these kingdoms to smithereens. And finally, in verse 45, Anna come. The last part, the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Know in your heart this is going to happen. Believe what you know. Trust him for what you do not know. I don't have it all figured out. European Union, you're, I, I don't know. But I know that he's coming. He's going to set up a kingdom. And, 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 and I may not point to a political body right now and say that's the ten kings. It does not matter. It doesn't matter. But put it down in your book. It is certain. It is sure. And it is going to happen. This is the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw. There's a similar image found in Daniel chapter 7. It's God's animal farm. The next time we'll look at Daniel chapter 7. I want you to um, find your hymnal again. We're going to close with a Christmas song that has absolutely nothing to do with Christmas. It's, Psalm one, it's number 137, Joy to the World. So would you stand with me, please? Number 137, Christmas song has nothing to do with Christmas. Sing it now. 